We are in Champions League, man. That was my Dilly din, dilly dong, come on. I will love it if we beat them. Love it. This is the Modern Soccer Coach Podcast with Gary Kearney. Hello, welcome to the Modern Soccer Coach Podcast. My name is Gary Kearney. Join us for this episode is Michael Falconis, assistant coach, Greece national team, former player, Australian international, also former head coach at Melbourne City and assistant in the Eredivisie Dutch League with Pex Zwolle. Phenomenal insight here, primarily into his role with Greece and the, the different types of preparation for the World Cup qualifiers and life around being a, an assistant coach at a national team level. Unbelievable. Really excited to hear your thoughts. Please let me know at Gary Kearneen on Instagram, at Gary Kearneen on Twitter. Quick announcement before we start, we've launched our first ever high school virtual coaches conference Saturday, January 8th, all day. 13 guest presentations, all related to high school coaching, the high school season. It'll also be an interactive format. You can sign up now, modernsoccercoach.com slash shop. There's a special offer at the minute for an early sign-ups, and I've also got a special offer for podcast listeners coming up on this, an extra offer, modernsoccercoach.com slash shop. Please stay tuned for that. Here is Michael. Enjoy. Michael, thanks so much for joining us on the Modern Soccer Coach podcast. Really, really excited to have you on. No, I'm really happy to be on as well, Gary. Thanks for having me on. I get to listen to you every time I go for a run. I listen to the podcast and listen to some some great knowledge from a lot of people. So it's uh, great to be on myself. We'll go straight into it. We talk a lot about game models on the podcast. We've had so many guests. You're working at such a high level, but then when I when I kind of step back and I'm doing research for this and I'm seeing your game schedule with qualifiers, different types of opponents, um, and I'm starting to think like how, how would you or or how difficult is it initially with the the games being tactically so diverse for every opponent, then the players being so long with their clubs so short with you, how hard is it to 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 create a game model? tactical uh, identity with all that going on yeah there's a lot of uh, a lot of analysis that goes on behind the scenes to to have a look at each opponent and i guess we've got plenty of time to do that that's one of the things about being uh, at, at international level uh but one of the, the the things is like you could have a plan on the back of your head with how you want to play against x team and right up to the last weekend you might have injuries or players that are not going to come into camp, which might change some things around. So it, it, it's an interesting one. It's a challenge. It certainly is a challenge, but it takes a lot of analysis, a lot of a lot of looking at the opponents uh, and working through it. But what it comes down to is not so much the systems that you change or the game model is the game model. It's more the principles don't change no matter what we do. So depending on the type of player we bring in, the opponent we have, the principles, they don't change. And our game model is, is is structured around those principles. So the system might change, but at this level, we have found as well that the, the players adapt nicely to it. You do, the, you do the work that you need to do. And they're at that level because they're able to adapt to systems. 
But like I said, the moment the most important is that we've got our philosophy, we've got our principles, and that guides uh, whatever system you're playing. The Spain game, a great result in the Spain game, unbeaten yeah. 63 World Cup qualifiers. Like the Spanish team for the last probably 15 years has been on a different level. So you talk about like those principles with with limited contact time. And again, like you kind of know where the, what the Spanish are going to bring, I suppose, no matter who they bring. Um, yeah, look, watching the Spanish or, or watching, you know, Barcelona and teams like this, it's I love I love doing that. So watching the Spanish was was great for myself personally because I watched maybe six to eight of their games, previous games. They've got certain patterns that they tried to to play within the game and they tried to get the ball into certain areas to penetrate and cause trouble for the opposition. But Watching them over and over again, I could not, it was not boring. It was exciting. And for me, it was even not only watching them like, what are we going to do? How are we going to handle these situations? But it was also, I was learning from watching them and thinking, I'd love to be able to use that in the future with with a team, with certain movements that they had or within the game model. So it was it was great uh, really analysing them and, and watching them play and, and watching it from a, perspective of, okay, how are we going to neutralise this situation? How are, we going to, uh, how are we going to beat them in this situation? Whatever it was, but it was also looking at it like a, like a coach and thinking, oh, that's great. Look, look what they just did. Look how they're pulling out this player and getting that player into position. So it was, it was a lot of analysis for a great team and a team that I love to watch. Um, from a from a philosophical perspective, we also knew that it was going to be a challenge for us as Greece. You know, having been with 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 Greece for the last two years, whether we were going to be able to have a lot of the ball against Spain was always going to be difficult. So, we prepared ourselves in in believing in the DNA that the Greeks have got as well, because it's like the Greek team they've got it in them. Gary, it's just unbelievable. You don't have to work too long on defensive organisation with the Greeks. It's like doesn't matter what formation you pick or what sort of pressing, they get that. It's like it's it's in their blood. I think they work on it a lot at their club level as well. So, yeah, with the Spanish, it was it was an an interesting game, and it was early on as well. But uh, they're a great team to play, and it was a great challenge for us to also notice where we're at and what we need to do to improve as a team as well. Which player jumped out there on the Spain team? Watching them up close and personal. Wow. Um, for me, in, in the second game when Busquets came on, uh, he took complete control of the midfield because in the second half of the second game, we really we, we had a lot of confidence. The one in Athens, we started to play. We started to get a bit of the ball and we knew we, we had to try and win. So the boys were really brave, but Luis Enrique brought on Busquets and then they started to control the ball and just the positions he takes... Gary, it's just, you know, he he causes problems for the opposition through his positioning. He'll go into areas when they've got the ball that the opponent is always in two minds, you know, and he's always two against one. So if if I'm the defender and I'm marking Gary, Bush gets his teammate, will come into a position where it's going to make it very difficult for Michael to pick up Gary and Bush gets. Mm-hmm. He gets into those areas in midfield and he, you know, in little pockets of space, he just finds pockets of space and his technique and his ability to pass the ball. Yeah, it turned the game around again into their favour. Mm-hmm. So I'm, I'm always been a big favourite of Busquets, but watching him play live in that game was, yeah, was fantastic. 
I'm sure you saw the thing going around there a couple of weeks ago of him just in the, the plus one in the middle and how little work and how efficient he was at his body shape. And it's just different yeah. level, the basics. Yeah, look, his body shape and being able to face forwards and, and to move the ball around at ease, you know, you, you're closing him down. And just when you think you're, you, you might win the ball, in a simple way, he just goes bang and he plays it in between lines and he moves, keeps the ball moving. And then he's on the move again into these pockets of space where he's either going to receive it in, in, in a position underneath to be able to change the point of attack or he's going to receive it and play vertically and you're in trouble. So just watching him, he makes it look so easy. He makes it seem like, you know, you can go out and play it, but he's just another level. He's, he's really great to watch. I tell my sons all the time, just keep watching him. It doesn't matter the older he gets, I think the better he gets. You mentioned there about the, the defensive DNA. That's that's really interesting. I think we'll come into that in a little bit about the, yeah. the Greek DNA. How hard is it whenever you're preparing? You mentioned as well going in and, and having sustained periods where you don't have the ball. Is it sometimes hard then to, to get the balance right between a game plan to be like, all right, this is how we're going to stop Spain and this is where we're going to nick one or this is where we're going to have our period of the game where we're on top? Yeah, look, I think uh, in, in the game in Spain, uh, it was very difficult. They were in total control. They were in total control. Playing at home, uh, we, we tried to control the game, and especially in the first 30 minutes, I think we did. We controlled the game without the ball, and that's what we had to try and do. Uh, and they basically didn't create many chances. They did, <laughs> But then the one chance they did in the 34th minute, I think it was, it was a goal. Morata scored you know, a great touch finish straight away and we, we, we couldn't deal with it. But I think it's also a little bit of a, uh, a mentality. And especially for a team like Greece that is known for defending. And it's like they take on a persona of, okay, let's be realistic about this. We're playing Spain. I think with Spain, if you believe in yourself and you're brave and you want to play, you can play. And that's what they did in the second half. Our players started to play and they started to, to get themselves into pockets of space and get in between lines and move the ball. You have to be brave with them. I don't know if we're ever the, when we're going to reach their level. They've been doing it for years and you know they coach their kids from a young age. For us to be able to do it in Greece, a lot has to change, Gary. And a lot has to change from academy levels and the way they work and the way they, they see football. Because even with academy levels, I might be going off track here a little bit, but you know, my sons are, are involved in, in some of the academies. The, the 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 culture is still a little bit more of results driven and, and playing for the result instead of trying to play a certain style of football. And and you'll see that soon as you know the, the, the score changes, they try to manipulate the game in a way they go oh, on nil, okay, let's defend a little bit more, let's feel a little bit safer. Where I'm, I'm personally against that. I think you score one, you go for a second, you go for a third, and you play the game. Yeah. So it's a, it's an interesting one, but it's also I, I think it's real mental here in Greece. It's a, it's a mentality that's got to change. They've got players with technical ability. They've got to work with the younger players in the academy, and they've got to give that belief that you can win games playing attacking football, not you know just having to defend and playing on the counter attack. Oh, leads us in nicely. Is my favourite question. The we all like I've had guests on Brazilian football, English football, Italian football, and we talked about like the history almost holding them back of the success. 
Greece success 2004 like it was the ultimate shut up shop and and stop players from playing mm. and it was a defensive masterclass but when you're trying then to change that in the modern game and you're trying to be a bit more you're saying there change the culture a bit more expansive can the past almost hold them back because of that success because it was successful those tactics it, yeah look i think the past has held the nation back a little bit but what I'd like to say is uh, the masters of, of uh, playing a defensive game and playing on the counter-attack, the Catanaccio with the Italians. And look what the Italians have done with, the, with most of their clubs playing beautiful attacking football and their national team. Just really a joy to watch as well. And they're Euro champions. So, yeah, I think it's held our nation back a little bit in terms of the way they see football and the way they believe they can win games. And... But look, it's it's got to change because I think, and I can say this, it's like God fell asleep in the Euro 2004 and we stumbled into winning uh, uh, a big trophy, a major trophy, um, playing in a, in a way that it's not always going to bring you success and it's not consistently going to bring you success. I'm, I'm, I really believe in attacking football and I really believe if you're going to win things, you've got to go out and play to win in a certain way consistently over time to be able to get trophies. So uh, you look at the our neighbours, the Italians, the way they've changed their approach to the game. The Germans changed their approach to the game. Belgians changed their approach to the game. The English have changed their approach to the game. Nearly every nation in Europe has. And it's the way forward, I think, you know, being more proactive and playing football if you're going to make a change and you're going to win trophies. And I think uh, it's going to happen here as well. It's going to happen, and it, it takes a national team to to show the rest of the nation that you can play this sort of football, and that you know young aspiring coaches and young players want to play that way. Which player doesn't want to play attacking football? I mean, we all grow up in the backyard or in the park or at our school, dribbling and passing and shooting and wanting to score goals, and we don't necessarily go in the backyard and say, "I'm just going to tackle." We we don't do that. You know what I mean? So. Uh, every player wants to do it, but I think it's about promoting uh, the proactive game and believing in it and, and and giving coaches a go to to coach it and not being so results-driven at academy football I'm talking about, that when things don't go quite right, you know, the, the, the coaches become uncomfortable because it's a results-driven uh, business, even, I'm sorry to say, at academy level here. Like what you're saying there about defensive organization, they're so comfortable in that defensive organization. When you're trying to shift that, is it, I mean, is, is the core work done? Is it through session design? Is it, you mentioned the mentality piece? I mean, for a staff to do that there, what, what type of work are you focusing on? Yeah, look, it, it, all be, it, it all depends. Okay, so if you're talking about the national team and we're playing, uh, we're playing Spain, we might focus a little bit more on trying to control the game defensively. But never, never forgetting that you know we're we're doing our work on the ball and what we're going to try to achieve, how we're going to build up against them, how we're going to try and hurt them. And then when you play a smaller nation that you want to be in total control of, oh, not necessarily a smaller nation. Let's let's take Sweden for example. That's a fantastic footballing nation. We played them here at home in Athens and we're in total control. You know, we worked on getting in between lines and how we're going to play in a in a three five two formation to hurt them and cause them problems and. We had a terrific game against Sweden. Um, but I think you have to prioritise, especially in the minimal time that you have to work with a national team, 
you have to prioritize what you're going to work on and what you're going to work on on the pitch and what you're going to work on off the pitch in terms of what you're going to present and what you're going to show to the players as a learning. And I'd, I'd like to say it's even a, a training session through the presentation, knowing that they're a great level, an elite level that's going to understand, you know, ABC that you need to put through without having to work on a training and maybe just go over a training in a light way while you're really focusing on the one, two, three points that you want to put across. So look, it depends on going back to your question, who you're going to play, how much focus you put on the defending, how much focus you put on the attacking. But we're always talking here about us with the ball and giving him that confidence that we want to play football. We want to be dominating with the ball. But it's interesting because a lot of talk now around the world is it's coming back. And I remember Brendan Rogers when he first came into the talking about his philosophy and that was way back. It was about controlling the game with and without the ball. And he'd talk a lot about it. And now you're starting to see a lot of coaches are, you know, it's not necessarily only with the ball. It's what we're going to do with and without it. And even the, the new Manchester United boss, um, uh, Randnick, he's, he's talking about that as well. So it's, yeah, there's four moments in the game. You've got to be prepared for all four moments, don't you? Uh, for all four game moments. You need to be able to defend. You need to be able to attack. And you need to know what you're going to do in transition. So it, it has been an interesting uh, challenge and one that's helped me personally uh, develop further as a coach, coaching at international level and really being able to pinpoint what you need to work on and maximise that minimal time because it is minimal. You know, players come in on having played on a Saturday, Sunday, on the Monday, you've got your first training session. Well, most of it, that's recovery. So even from a recovery point of view, and I'll give you an example, um, the, the cultural uh, uh, way of doing things with the Greek national team was you come in, for recovery and it's, you know, you put your runners on, you do a couple of laps, you do a bit of stretching, you have a bit of fun and okay, we'll, we'll train tomorrow. We change that. And it's part of the way I like doing things as well in terms of when we put training together. And I remember the first day saying, listen, if you're going to put your runners on, you might as well go to the athletics track. You're playing football, put your boots on because through a really nice recovery, we could put across, you know, certain points, A, B, C, that we wouldn't have to do the next day of training. It's already implanted in their head if we've already transmitted it to them, what we want. And then we can progress the next day when they go into an activation session. So it was interesting putting all that in into a culture that was already existing with, you know, we're going to be pretty laid back. We come, you know, we're, we're international stars. We're going to relax. Just give us the game plan and, and we're going to play. But we changed that right up because we needed to maximise that time in terms of trying to implement a new philosophy because we weren't just going to defend. And we wanted to maximise time through methodology and our presentations to get that learning across and to get that confidence across and to utilise as much time as we could to help these players be able to play that a certain way. With the growth of science in the game, a lot of coaches today, I think, are being very cautious over training loads and I would imagine when those players are coming in and they're at different reports, the science department are getting, I mean, how do you manage through uh, facilitating all those different loads or is it just we're going this way? Yeah, look, I, I think you've got to be mindful of the loads and the days they've played and what they've done. But 
there's a certain way and a training approach that we go through and we're going to stick to that plan. Uh, so it's not like uh, let's relax for two days and we'll give you the game plan and you can play. Um, we've got a, a periodization model that we use and we, we tapered it to suit the national team. So in that way, what I'd like to do when we're doing that is that we're not only preparing the player for the games he's got to play with the national team, but he's getting what he needs during those 10, 12 days that he's with us, that he goes back to his club, fit as a fiddle, healthy to play and to play at the highest level because we need him playing at the highest level at his club. So we've got a responsibility of getting him the right training that he would at his club to play for us in a certain way and to go back fit and healthy to keep playing because that's what you need them to do, keep playing at the highest level and to come back and form every time with the national team. So we're, we're all about uh, working a certain way. We know what sort of loads we need leading into the game, depending, obviously, it's, it's tactical periodization we use. So it's depending on when the game is, we work backwards and we've got a model that we use in terms of how big our games are, how small they are, what we want to get out of them. Intensity doesn't change. Intensity is right up there because we want them to play like that. So there's no way we can say to the, the Greek national team players, oh, we're going to go out and press or, you know, when we lose the ball, we want the eight-second press, which we call action-reaction. We're going to react and we try to win the ball and we're not training that way. I, I don't think that's possible because in terms of changing habits and getting the behaviours we wanted in the players, we had to maximise, like I said, that minimal time we've got. So intensity was intensity. I'm a big believer as well, even on the tactical side, that it can be it can be done at an intense level, not that walking through conductor sort of. Now you can move to the left. Now you can move to the right. What we did and what I like doing in particular is doing a lot of presentations before training. These are the messages we're putting across. A, B, C. This is what we're going to do. This is what we want to see. They know it before the the actual training session. The tactical. Again, I might go over it a little bit, but then when we're doing it, we're doing it at intensity. We're doing it at game speed. We want them to, to feel that situation at game speed. But it's also a little bit progressive. For example, if, uh, if I'm going to press against Spain in a certain way, I might put them in a smaller ground, in a smaller uh, uh, grid size to play a positional game, let's say nine against nine, but we've already spoken about how we're going to press the opposition and I'm going to want to see those actions and the mechanics of the system, the way we want to press within that small area and then we'll take it into the big area. Why? Because I don't want them to get physically dead and, and waste energy through pressing actions on the whole pitch. And then once we go on the big pitch, it might be done minimal times and not so long, but they've got the idea. They've got the idea visually before training, they've got the idea in a small area, they've got the idea in a big area to get the feeling of distances because they need that. And then we might get the idea again on video the night after training if there was detail that we needed to fix. And really, it's a joy working with the league players because they get things. They get things quick. You know, they'll see the detail on the video and they, they adjust. And the next day of training, it might not be the focus, the press. We're working on, on build-up play. But when they need to press because we've given the ball to the opposition, you'll see that those details we spoke about, those, those little things we needed to improve that we showed them from the video from the training, 
these guys get it, they do it, they realise. So it's yeah, working at this level as well is a little bit different with how much they actually they can take on. Coaches will take a quick break here. We have our Modern Soccer Coach Virtual High School Coaches Conference coming up on Saturday, January 8th. All day, we will have presentations from some outstanding coaches and practitioners, all related to that high school age group, 14 through 18. If you miss any of the presentations, of course, you'll get access to all the replays. You can register now, modernsoccercoach.com slash shop. There's a special offer for early signups. For podcast listeners, I've also got an additional offer to the special offer. If you register now and you shoot me an email and you mention this podcast, I will give you a pass for your assistant coach to attend as well. Gary at modernsoccercoach.com, a two-for-one special for your program. Even if you've got a third assistant and you're fortunate to have a full staff, just let me know. Mention the podcast, modernsoccercoach.com slash shop. Order one pass and I'll give you an extra one as well. Shoot me an email and I will take care of your staff. Gary at modernsoccercoach.com. Thanks so much. Look forward to seeing all the high school coaches there. Really appreciate your support and excited to put the full day, January 8th. All those presentations together, interactive format will be brilliant. Back to Michael. Yeah, just on that, is there a... Is there a, not a, a fear, but like a concern over mental, you know, do you have to almost manage how many hours you're meeting a day not to just, because sometimes there's a paradox of international manager. Sometimes it's, you don't have a lot of time, but then all of a sudden you get a 24-7 access. 100%. And there's times, Gary, that we've planned meetings and we've seen after training, for example, no, it was great. They got it. You don't need it. We've always got it in there and we'll tell the players after, you know, you're free, relax. We don't, and there, you know, you can you give them a bit of joy with that as well because having been players ourselves, we know it could be information overload. <clears throat> and I think it's always important that we we get together, you know, with the, with the head coach and the other assistant coach and we, we discuss things, what we saw. Do we need to see the, the whole team? Do we just see the back line, the, the, the defensive players or the midfielders, or do we just see one or two players and we just have to give a little bit of detail? I mean, you don't have to call the whole team in to maybe give detail to two or three players that can make a difference within the mechanics of the way the system or the way you want it to press or the way you want it to build up. So I think you've got to be mindful of that, of information overload, because, it, you know, I've worked at club, I've worked at now with international teams, and when you're 24 hours a day together for 10 to 12 days and it's football, 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 it can get quite a bit. And you've got to be mindful. They, they've got, they're humans. They're humans. And you've got to be mindful of their, their energy and how much information they get tired from, from this as well. It's, it's a lot of thinking. You know, they're playing important games. They've probably got the stress on playing Spain, playing Spain. I need to perform well. And then you get a coach giving too much information. You've got to be really mindful of it really mindful of it and that's why even uh, towards the the session before the session before an international game we made sure that it was never information about the game never we we made sure that it was all about um, speed of thought and speed physical speed and they were short sharp sessions 40 to 45 minutes and the players would always finish going, oh, come on a little bit more we want to play more it was no you play tomorrow but they were always, you know, about them thinking quick, short games, small games, thinking quick, making quick decisions, putting them into 
into the sort of games where they won't even have that intensity the next day. It, it, it will not be possible. So you, you and, and I really like that. I really like that during the week you manufacture the sort of intensity that probably doesn't even exist on game day. And I think that, you know, that's, that's a way of planning that once they do get out on the pitch, it's a little bit easier to play. You know, they've, they've, they've been able to train at an intensity that's, that's not normal. And I think that's really important in terms of when you want to implement something and put something in place. Now, that could be a little bit different for youth level, okay, and for younger kids, but especially at this level with elite players, yeah, it's, it's great to be able to stress them like that at training and, and you see the rewards very quickly. You've talked on social media about the team spirit. Like, how yeah. do you grow that in a, in a short period of time with players with contact time? Yeah, good question. When, and I'm going to be totally honest. When we came in, it was a it was a bit of a disaster two years ago. We saw, like I said, you know, the training was like, uh, okay, we're here. It was a little bit of tourist mode, and we'll play when we have to play. <clears throat> we quickly established our values and our rules, but we lived by them as coaches, and we made sure the rest of the staff, the existing staff that were there, were going to live by them as well. And the players quickly bought into it. It was, it was amazing. They quickly bought into it and they liked the structure and they liked the rules and they liked that there was there was a standard that we, we expected from them. High-level players and it was almost like you could see that there was a little bit of, as well, like, this isn't right. You know what I mean? We, we have to be performing better. We have to be achieving more. So I think, uh, yeah, look, I'm a, I'm a big believer and it's taken with experience. It's not like, you know, 12 years ago when I started coaching, I did, I did things right. My focus was always football, tactics, and I had to be the best football coach in terms of tactics because we love the tactical side. I think that's, you know, you love the tactical side and seeing how am I going to undo this team and how am I going to get them with their weakness. And But it comes back to human relationships. It comes back to we're all humans and it comes back to creating a, an environment that everyone can do their best work in. And how do you do that? You've got to put in rules. You've got to have standards. And you've got to have values that you live by. And we told them that from the first day. But we need to live by them as well. They need to be out there. It needs to come from within us. And I think without that, no matter what philosophy you have, whether it's an attacking, whether it's defending, whether whatever it is, it's not going to work. I think you're underpinned by what I like to call a life philosophy. And I think together the life philosophy and the football philosophy, they make a, a, a philosophical system that allows you to work and your environment to work in. So I'm a big believer in that. And it took you know, a lot of years to realise that it's not only the X and O's and all the tactical stuff. It, we're dealing with people. And, and players are no fools. They see when you're authentic. They see when you're, you're living through those values. And they can see when you're living your philosophy. Whether you know, the, the, the whole system, your life philosophy and your football philosophy come into life. They see how you live and breathe it, how you coach it, the energy you have with it. And I think that's... That's super important. And, and the group came together and it grew and it grew. And we brought in a lot of new players. We found that a lot of players, uh, Greeks that were playing abroad, that probably never got a look in. It was a little bit of a closed uh, door with the national team. Whether players were playing abroad or not, they had a stature, they played in the national team. We sort of changed that. And I think players realised that, okay, this coach here, he's really fair and he's honest. 
and is giving everyone a go. And if you're performing as a club team and you're informed, you're going to get an opportunity. And that, I think, uh, inspired a lot of players. And we've got a lot of new players coming through with a Greek national team. And I think, you know, our, our average age is just below 23. I think the future's looking good because it's, it's a young team. It's an energetic team. And it just grew. The last two years, it's just grown. I just wish we could have scored more goals with the amount of chances we've created. <laughs> uh, we would have had a lot more better results. And But it is what it is. It's a young team. And I think uh, we've got a lot of younger strikers as well. And they're, they're learning their trade now uh, in, in different countries. And that's a challenge for them as Greek boys moving on to Holland or to Germany and applying their trade elsewhere. And that's going to be one, two, three years more where I think they're going to improve and if you're going to be creating chances like we are and the amount of chance we are in the team, they're going to be hitting the back of the net. It, it's only time. So the group is really good, really good atmosphere. Can't complain. Brilliant, brilliant. Well, when those players are coming in, those young players are coming in, <clears throat> what's the biggest separator in, or is there a biggest separator in your mind that that separates a, a good a good club player between a, a consistent international performer? Yeah, I think it's that ability, the intellectual ability and understanding of the game that, um, you know, one of your very first questions was changing systems. You're playing with teams that are changing systems. They're changing players. Really good players have got an intellect and they understand the game and they're able to to pick up on that information straight away. So coach transmits this information and says, we need to do this. We're going to change the system. Bang, they're able to do it. They've got an understanding. They see it. They've got a good knowledge of it and they're able to do it straight away. Um, you see some of them that could be doing very well at their clubs and they haven't quite got that yet. They're young and they're, they're still learning the game and and it's a little bit harder. You know. They, and and in, in today's football, I'm a big believer you can't defend with 10 or 9. Everyone's got to run. Everyone's got to help out each other and... You need to understand your role and your responsibility within within the team and how how important it is. And I remember one game in particular, one of the young players, he got it a bit wrong. That cost us. It cost us a goal. It cost us a goal. And you had the senior players trying to help him and trying to explain to him. I was just coming through where he's just been developing. He just scored two goals against PSV in the Champions League. He is making a huge name for himself. And he was on a high. But he was also on a high of... I don't think he really understood where he was either. And all of a sudden, he's playing for the national team as well. And he, and you've got to realise he's a young guy. He's only 18. He's 18. But uh, with our coach, John Van Schip, and being uh, with with his being Dutch and having that background, you know, with the Dutch, it doesn't matter how old you are. If, if you can play, you can play. And that was even a cultural change here in Greece. You know, because people were like, what do you mean? He's 18. He's going to play for the national team. Yes, he's he's performing really well. So... It's all about taking steps and especially with the younger players. And there's some younger players that can just go, boom, fit in straight away. And others you need to take steps with, but have got amazing quality. And you can only imagine what they're going to bring bring to the team in, in a few years' time. Yeah, we spoke uh, before we started recording about the fan, the fan base and how emotional and, and, and passionate they are. Does that help a young player in getting to the national team, exposed to that at a younger age? Because... Not a lot of countries can can give young players that was that that life experience. Yeah, yeah, true. And we're talking about Zolis now. I was talking about Zolis who's playing at Norwich, mm. um, and he was at Balk. 
their fan base is, is huge. It's crazy. They are fanat- When I mean fanatical, they are fanatical. And, you know, within weeks, he became a god at 18. So can you imagine a young kid, you know, for, he comes through the academy and all of a sudden he's scored two goals against PSV, he's scoring the Champions League games, he's uh, in the qualifiers, he's, he's scoring in the league. He's on some sort of momentum that is, that is fantastic. The interesting thing was, even before he was scoring, we liked what, what we saw. And even when we, when, we, when we were in the meeting that we said, we want this kid to come in, even our technical director and, and uh, the sporting director said, are you sure he's young? And that night, funnily enough, he scored two against PSV. And we got the messages on our WhatsApp. Oh, yeah, fantastic. You know, it was great. But he was just riding this wave. And you could just see he was coming into camp. You were giving him information, but he didn't know whether he was actually taking it on because he was playing with just an amazing energy and a, and a feeling of awesomeness that on you could believe what he was doing. You know, so it was how much information, we were talking about information over, how much information, you had to let him play free. And that's what the John Van Skip, the head coach said, just let him play free. Let him, let him play his game that he's playing at the moment without giving him too much information. But yeah, look, the, the experience here for young players with, with a fan base, it, it has its positives that they can create what they created with, with Dolis, but it can also be uh, detrimental in the pressure they put in terms of if you don't, you're not getting results or if you start to miss goals. They, they demand a lot. So you see a lot of these guys that once they leave Greece and they go to Holland or they go to Germany or they go to Belgium, it's a little bit different and they're a little bit more relaxed and, and they like that they don't have that much pressure from the fan base. Speaking of pressure, a quote basically on uh, more about coaches that I read from you, love this one. Sometimes I think we're like gladiators in the arena, a bad result yep. and you get smashed. Uh, how do you deal with pressure, the roller coaster nature of, of elite national team football? Yeah, um, I, I deal with it now a lot better than what I did when I first started coaching. When I was first started coaching, I could waste a lot of energy on it and worrying, it's, you know, it's going to shit and uh, what am I going to do about it? Where now, there's a process, you know, what you're going to work on, you know, how you're going to fix it. You're clear with your game model. You're clear with your philosophy. That's your reference point. My reference point is not going to be the media. It's not going to be the man down the street that judges the way we play. We know what we have to do. And we're the biggest critics of ourselves. And once you get to this level, we, I think we put a lot of pressure on ourselves because we want to do that well and we want to achieve things. So we put more pressure on ourselves and I don't worry about what's being said anymore i don't buy into that it's about focus and i even remember one of the game before sweden uh, we drew in kosovo uh, with a 92nd minute equalizer from kosovo uh, we had played a really good game again we had plenty of chances to kill the game off one nil up and that could have made a difference when we look at it now in terms of, of qualifying for the world cup and we conceded a 92nd minute uh, one of these crosses into the box where they were just launching him into the box to try and put pressure. We dealt with everything. This one we didn't deal with one all. The criticism coming back was amazing. The next game, we had to play Sweden. And that was a big game. You're playing a big nation, a pot A nation. Not once did we worry about what was being said. Not once did we listen to the criticism. We just focused on training, the players, the game model, getting them ready, keeping them away 
from all the noise on the outside, what was being said, and really gave them all the confidence from the game against Kosovo because people see the result and they see 1-1. One, one, they say, you should have won that game. It's not good enough. This, 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 this. We focused on all the positives in that game, all the good football we played. And, okay, again, we didn't take our chances and we didn't maximise our opportunities, but there were so many positives in terms of the way they went about their football. That's what we have to do against Sweden and we have to deliver against Sweden. We have to make just a few adjustments to the game, a few changes to the eleven. But the focus was on the process, nothing more. And I think as coaches, that, that's all you can really do because we really are gladiators in the arena. And I came up with that because in today, and we spoke a little bit about it at the beginning before we started recording, mate, I feel that today every coach is under the pump with one or two bad results. We are the gladiators in the arena, in the arena where Caesar's sitting there in the crowd, the social media and all the people, all the media going, kill him, kill him. Because it's like they love to read a coach being sacked. But it'd be interesting if you turned that around and, and you said to each one of those people in the media, how would you like being sacked? How does that affect your family? Because a lot of the times, okay, where they're going to say, yeah, they, these EPL coaches, for example, they're getting, I don't know, millions and millions. It's not going to affect them. But the rest of the world is not getting the millions that the EPL coaches are getting. So, you know, you can go to the Greek Super League for example, they're not going to be getting paid where EPL coaches are. But every week, they're just they're, they're asking for the death of these coaches. And it's, it sells papers. It's, and I feel sorry for my kids these days because in our playing days, we didn't have to have social media. Now with social media, I look at the PFA in Australia and what they're going through now, trying to make rules and regulations to put in place to protect players and coaches. And it, it's crazy. So we are gladiators in the arena. Yeah, it's it's funny because I, I completely agree with you. What would you advise a coach who is who is in that spot at the minute? What would you what would your advice be for them? I think um, one is I mentioned it. Focus on the process. Reference point is your game model, your players. Focus on your players, your relationship with the players, keeping their confidence up. But at the same time, one thing we don't do, and you said we don't have the time, is to focus on ourselves and our well being. And, and I'd say always go for a run. There's not one morning, whether I'm in camp or not, that I don't go for a run. And I go for a run whether it's listening to Modern Coach or any other leadership podcast that could help and give me something, one bit of learning. So if I'm going to go and run my seven kilometres, I'd like to finish those seven kilometres and say, geez, I learned something today. It's gonna, it, that can help me in my environment. That's fantastic. Or whether I go to clear the head because you, you need to make some decisions or you need to think a little bit about training, you need to look after yourself, whether it's you know, even the food you eat and, and how much rest you get and the sort of time you spend away from football, meditating, all these sorts of things help. And I think um, it's come to the stage where coaches need a coach to help them get through it because it's a lot. And I can only imagine what happens. You know, even at EPL and even at this level, the pressure, the media having to turn up and front up in front of the media to to discuss, you know, the 90-second minute equaliser and, and you're preparing for the next game and the type of questions you get and you're thinking, geez, do I really need to answer that? But it's, yeah, we, we need to manage ourselves a lot more away from football to have our health in check, 
to have energy because we need that energy. You just you just mentioned you know having to go in high five everyone. You've always got to be in a great mood. You've got to turn up uh, after that game and, and and be super positive for your players and, and the whole staff. So it's a huge challenge, and it's, I think it's so important that uh, you know we're trying to look after 30 people, 20, 30 people, including the rest of the staff, but. We really have to look after ourselves as well to make sure that we're okay, healthy and fit. I just spoke to someone you probably know, Cody Royal. I spoke to Cody a, yep. a couple of days ago, yep. and he, he was he said the 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 coach a coach today is an elite performer. You you treat yourself like you're a, you're an athlete, like you're saying, meditate, get your mind in a good spot, exercise, yep. diet. One hundred percent. You need to. You need to. And I think. Uh, you know, learning learning to meditate and eating the right foods and and, uh, and resting and getting your rest in between. Like, I'll, I'll give you the example of national team, the amount of meetings, not with players, the meetings you have to have with coaches, the meetings you have to have with analysts and the meetings then that you have to have with other staff and it's, it's non-stop. I love club football. I love it because I love being on the ground every day and what I miss from international is that I'm not on the pitch every day. So with international football, I wait that one time in a month and we're going to be together for 10 days. But let me tell you something, Gary, those 10 days is like working a whole month. It's like you come back from camp, you get into a meeting to review with the other coaches, how it went, what we can do better, where all things went well. But then after that, you just want to lay back for the rest of the week and do nothing because you're stuffed. It, it takes so much out of you. You know, the 24 hours... 10 days of that of that period, that camp, where you're, it's football, 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 football. It, and you know how us football people are. We'll, we'll finish preparing the presentation or finish speaking to the players in the meeting and then we'll go have a coffee and we're discussing football again. And we're talking more football and more fo- And then we'll put on the TV and we're watching a football game again. And we, we just don't get away from it we, because we love it. And, that, and that's fantastic, but we need to find that little bit of time away as well. And if it's, you know, with our kids, and even that happens to be football again. <laughs> even with my kids, I'm gonna, you know, the little one will say, let's go and kick the ball around. It's football again, but that, that's fine. But it's it's that time you spend with other people. And yeah, you've got to really look after yourself. I think it's, it Brilliant. takes a lot out of you. Brilliant, brilliant. Uh, last couple for you, your your time in the Eredivisie with uh, Pax mm. Woley. What were the learnings there? How was that experience? Yeah, it was that was a great experience. Uh, I, I followed uh, John Van Schip. He was uh, the coach at Melbourne City. Uh, he left Melbourne City. I took over as interim. He went to to Holland and and took over Pex Waller. And then at some stage, he called me over to go back to help him out in Holland. And that was that was great because for Aussie coaches to go into Europe, that's that's a bit unheard of. It's not that uh, easy, and I, I think it's probably the same for American coaches. Uh, it's like uh, <laughs> us Aussies are more like, uh, we, you know, the barbecue being sloppy and just relaxing, watching cricket. How much football do you really know? But it was great. I made many friends at Peck. And even when, when John uh, left Peck and uh, he moved on, uh, Peck kept me on. And I worked with the, with the academy and doing what I really love doing in, in every football environment, and that is focusing on philosophy implementation, and how they could uh, fine-tune that and streamline that through the whole academy, uh, working on specific building blocks to do that and how coaches will do that, and they kept me on coaching the coach. And I really loved that, and I enjoyed that time. 
And then after a year or so, I got called up by John again. He was the Greek national team. And I've got Greek blood in me as well. And it was a huge opportunity. But always inside of me, I was really enjoying it at Holland because it's a real football nation as well. And they love they love the attacking game. And, you know, I'm a Croy Fister as well and, and all that. Yeah, I loved it. And um, I really enjoyed my time there. And I've made a lot of good friends. And I'd love to be able to go and work there again at some point. But really great experience. The Eredivisie is a real attacking competition, and I love that. But every week, you know, you, you get your teams. Every team is doing it in a different way. Every team is playing a different formation. Every team has got a different game model. And coming as an Aussie coach where things were pretty streamlined in Australia in the A-League, and it was pretty much 4-2-3-1, everyone, this was a different challenge for me where now you have to start analysing a lot more because in the A-League, it was a bit common you know nearly everyone's playing the same way you played everyone four times by the time you played them the third time it was like okay what do you say to the players we've played them that many times you know there's only so much so it was it was great i really enjoyed it you know it's fantastic you mentioned there are Aussie coaches there joe joe montemuro at uve and Ange at celtic have done have done really really well like what's yeah. the what's the secret to support to the Aussie coaches now starting to put a footprint in Europe and world football? Ange's, Ange Postacoglu is fantastic. He really changed the game in Australia. The, the, the Australian game was more always very physical and that's what we are. We're going to be physical. We're going to play long and direct and, and win the second ball and make something out of it. And Ange wanted to change the game and he did that when he, when he took over Brisbane and I think he did a fantastic job with the soccerers as well. And you can see even now with the type of game Celtic is playing and he, he changed things very quickly. He implemented his philosophies. Fantastic. <clears throat> and he was a game changer in Australia and a real uh, mentor and model to a person that you wanted to follow. And uh, I remember early on in my career, because I played with Ange at South Melbourne, he was coming to the end of his career and... And I was only just starting mine and he was becoming the assistant coach at the time. And then when the, the senior coach at the time, Frank Garrop left, I think it was, Ange had taken over. So I got the early Ange, the early Ange Postacoglu. But the, the Ange Postacoglu now is a professor. I think he's fantastic. Joe Montemuro was my assistant in Melbourne City. No so, way. Yeah, Joe's fantastic. He was, uh, he was also the assistant... Um, Part of the staff when John Van Skip was their coach, and then when John left and I was interim coach, Joe was my assistant. So we've worked a lot together, and we we catch up a lot and, and talk on Zoom uh, about football. He's done a tremendous job. He's he's fantastic. He's fantastic. And uh, the secret, it could be the same for American coaches. We are that far away from the mecca of football, being Europe. We feel a lot of times that we don't do enough. We need to learn more. We need to study more. We need to watch more. You know, we'll get up at four o'clock in the morning to watch every game, every Champions League game, every Euro game, because we're so far away. We're too far behind from those coaches. We're always looking to get better. We're always looking to learn. We're always infatuated with what's happening in Europe and, and to be up there with the best and how are we going to do that? And, and we travel and we go on trips to, to find out what the best are doing. We're just really hungry to, to be noticed that, hey, we're not all about barbecues and, and going to the beach and, and kangaroos. We love football and we, we're actually 
we live and breathe football, mm. even though it's not the number one sport in, in, in the country. So, mate, I, I can tell you, uh, at the time when I was in Adelaide and I had Spanish coaches, which were my Tatsalotto, mm. I learned so much from these guys. I had a lot of Dutch influence. I don't know why. It was everywhere in my path was a Dutch coach, a Dutch technical director, and and even John later, John Van Skiver was Dutch. And maybe it's what the universe was bringing towards me because of the football I loved to watch and the football I wanted my teams to play. But when these guys came, you know, Joseph, Guillermo, and even Paul Marti, that was the uh, the physical coach, they taught me so much from the Barcelona way. It was. It was amazing. But what I'm getting to is, in those days, I was assistant coach to Joseph Gambal with the senior team. So I was there from 8 o'clock in the morning and at 3 o'clock in the afternoon, he'd say, Michael, go home and see your kids and spend some time. And he was only saying that because at 4.30, I would take the under-20 team of Adelaide United. And it was my job to implement the philosophy, put it through, get the boys all streamlined, the teams below that, coach the coaches below that, and I'd get home at 9 o'clock at night. I did that for four years. Those four years were like the biggest learning, coaching learning. But what I'd like to say is you need to put in those hours. You need to put them in. You need to learn. But you need to have that passion that you want to be really good at what you do. And you've got to love football. So to me, those years were just, whew, what a learning. I'll, I'll never forget them. I'll never forget them because I was able to learn from really, really good coaches in the morning and that gave me responsibility in the senior team. But then in the afternoon, I had to go do it myself and I got another practical uh, opportunity to, to learn and make mistakes and get better learning a philosophy and, and the building blocks of putting things in, in, in a way of implementing things where it doesn't matter where I go now. And I remember Joseph saying this to me, it doesn't matter where I go, I'm able to implement this way of play and this sort of philosophy and I'm comfortable with doing it. And it doesn't matter what level it is. It's going to be whether it's in the, in the EPL or it's in, in a lower league, that team is still going to play that way. And I think it's possible. Yeah, you, you can answer my last question, which was advice to young coaches. But then what I want to okay. say was, do you think when, when you're saying then get out on the grass, do you think today we're in danger of, of almost like, a bit too theory based with our coach education and not like almost moving into classrooms and game models that are on PowerPoints, but not on the grass. There's nothing like being on the grass, Gary. I think, um, you know, PowerPoints and uh, all these presentations can help visually. Okay. And most people are visual and I think they can help. I said it earlier on, I love using them from the fact that, I'd like to get on the pitch and be have an intense session as possible where it's non-stop and it's action, 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 and it's game-related and it's like a game and they've got the information already because we've given them that information visually, short points, one, two, three, really strong communicating point that they know what we need to work on, what they're going to do, what they need to achieve and to get out there. I, I used to hate it as a player, you know, when you're standing and the coach is talking and is narrating and, you know, it's like a conductor and it's, it becomes about the coach. It really becomes about, hey, I know it all. Just listen to me. Move to the left. Move to the right. I'm Moses. And, you know, it's pretty – yeah, I never liked that. And 
I don't like that either as a coach. I want specific information, bang, 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 go out and do it and play. And let's keep working on it. Make mistakes and you'll, you'll, you'll work it out as, as you're going on and, and creating that environment that they learn from within the methodology. But yeah, too much classroom. Yeah, the players, they don't want to be too much in the classroom. They want to play, don't they? They want to have a kick. Yeah. So I, I think we have to keep it as simple as, as possible. Yeah, and I think trainings have to be simple and not so complex. Sometimes it's so complicated. The simple, to me, simple is the best. Simple is the best. And there's so much methodology that's simple and you can learn so much from. That could be, I think you've already done a podcast on the Rondo. It's, it's amazing how many things you can learn and how many times it's within a game, the Rondo. So um, keep it simple. Yeah. And be out on the grass as much as possible. And I think that's where we want to be as well as coaches. Michael, what a way to finish it. Outstanding. I love this. It's flown by. <laughs> it's gone quick. Thank you. Fantastic. No, thank you. Thank you for listening to the Modern Soccer Coach Podcast. For more coaching topics, sessions, and resources, head on over to Coach Kernin on Facebook or visit the website at www.modernsoccercoach.com.